Good afternoon, everyone. We continue with Pirkei Avot, and we're at the beginning of Chapter 2. Chapter 2, Perik base of Pirkei Avot, begins with Rebbe. Rebbe Omer. Do you know who Rebbe was? So I'm going to tell you a little bit. You know I like to talk about the history of who people were, and it's important that we know that when we hear something that someone said, that we understand the context of who they were, uh, so that we can get a greater understanding of what it is that they were saying. So, Rebbe was Rebbe Yehuda Hanossi. He's the only person, besides for Moshe Rabbeinu, who's ever referred to in Jewish literature as Rebbe. Moshe Rabbeinu is referred to as our Rabbi, and Rebbe is referred to as Rebbe, my Rabbi, Rebbe, and it is the only person who's referred to using this title after Moses, who is the foundational figure of Judaism. Moshe was the one who received the Torah on Mount Sinai. Moshe Rabbeinu is whenever we have a halacha in the Gemara, in the Talmud, and we don't know the exact source of that uh, particular version of the halacha, we refer to it as halacha le Moshe misinai. What does that mean? For example, the shape and color of tefillin. There's no reference to it in the Torah. And there's no inference to it in the Torah and from the Torah. So how do we know that tefillin have to be black and have to be square? Halacha le Moshe misinai. Why Moshe? Moshe is the foundational figure of Jewish teaching and of the Jewish faith. And for that reason, he is known as our teacher. He's not called Melech. He's not called anything else. He's referred to as Moshe Rabbeinu. He is our teacher. There's... Um, Rabbi Yehuda Hanossi is the next person in Jewish history, came 2,000 years later, 1,500 years later. And he was the person who uh, finally laid down in writing all of the teachings of what we refer to as Torah Shaba'al Peh. He was the one who recorded all of the different versions of the oral law into something that we call Mishnayis, so that it wouldn't be forgotten. Now we need to understand something very important. That at the time of the second Beis Amikdosh, towards the end of the period of the second temple, there was tremendous amount, or there was a tremendous amount of uh, differentiation between different sects within the Jewish faith. There were those who wanted to refer only to Torah Shabichsav, to the written Torah. They were known as the Tzidukim or the Bayasusim. There were also other sects, most famously, the sect that eventually developed into the Christian faith. They were a Jewish sect that differentiated themselves from the existing rabbinic Judaism by declaring a particular person to be Mashiach. And they eventually completely uh, disregarded the obligations of Halacha, and they went away from it. They said there's no reason to observe Halacha, and as long as you believe in the Mashiach as they understood it, you no longer need to observe Jewish law. And there were other sects who we've forgotten or not recorded necessarily in history in any kind of detail that we can truly appreciate what their beliefs were or what it was that they did in their day-to-day -day lives. But we certainly know that there were many different sects of Judaism. As a result of this, uh, Rabbi Yehuda Hanossi, and those people, the early Tanoim, this by the way was the fifth generation of the Tanoim, decided that it's extremely important that for posterity, 
the oral law be recorded in such a way that there could not be any misunderstanding as to what it means to be a faithful Jew, a rabbinic Jew, a Jew who believes in the faith of the Torah of Moshe, as it was given to us in Chamisha Chumshe Torah and the other 19 books of Tanakh, and the oral law as passed down to us from generation to generation as we began recording here in Pirkei Avot and is recorded in some detail, uh, incredible detail in fact, in the introduction to Mishnah Torah of the Rambam. So, um, Rebbe decided to take all the different teachings that he had learned, we're going to hear in a moment who his teachers were, and record them in something called Mishnais. It proved to be insufficient, not because he didn't put great effort into it, but because it was written in such a way that it, it required a scholar, a great scholar, to understand exactly what it meant. You need to be taught it by uh, others who had learnt it from those who knew what it was talking about in order to understand it. And ultimately it was decided that we needed to add a body of text as an expl explanatory um, source of information with regard to that which was contained in the Mishnah. And that became known as the Gemara. Collectively, Mishnah and Gemara are known as Talmud. The Talmud contains the oral law and the oral tradition. So that means it contains a lot of definitive laws with regard to how Jews should conduct themselves, but also information as to how one should decide law in the event that a particular law has not been recorded in the Talmud. And of course, as time uh, unfolded, there are many things which didn't exist at the time of the Gemara that do exist today or existed in the eras that uh, uh, came afterwards, after the Gemara was written. But we have enough information as to how halacha is to be decided according to normative tradition that we know exactly what it is that we need to have as the halacha in any given situation. The person who was the um, principal figure, the pivotal figure with regard to recording Torah Sheba'al Peh was none other than Rabbi Yehuda Hanossi. Rabbi Yehuda Hanossi for that reason is known as Rebbe. In the same way as Moshe Rabbeinu was the person who delivered the Torah Shebichsav, the written Torah, Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi is the person who gave us the Torah Shebaal Peh, who finally, re finally recorded it because it was so important that we, this, this information be recorded in such a way that we have it as the foundation of the Jewish faith going forward. Now we have both Torah Shebichsav and Torah Shebaal Peh, and we have Moshe Rabbeinu to thank for Torah Shebichsav, and we have Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi to thank for Torah Shebaal Peh. There's another reason why he was called Rebbe. Rebbe, in his day, was the Rebbe, the teacher, the rabbinic um, mentor of every other rabbi in his generation. Therefore, if you went to any town and somebody said, I heard from Rebbe, speaking about his teacher, you knew he, who he was talking about. You didn't need to ask him. You know, today, there's lots of Rebbe's. For example, I know that, for example, the Lubavitcher Hasidim call their particular Rebbe the Rebbe. They call him the Rebbe, but for many other people who are not Lubavitcher Hasidim, he's not the Rebbe, he is a Rebbe, he is a very important person, he is somebody who uh, um, spread the light of Torah and the light of Judaism around the world, but he's not the Rebbe because they may have had their own Rebbe. For example, if you studied at Yeshiva University, your Rebbe is, as they refer to him, the Rav. 
it's Reb uh, Yoshaber Soloveitchik. Or if you learned in Ponovis Yeshiva, maybe your Rebbe was Rav Shach. Or if you're a Chosid of Bells, then your Rebbe is the Belzer Rebbe. So when somebody says, my Rebbe said, you hear somebody say, sometimes you hear that, you know, I heard from my Rebbe. You don't know who he's talking about. Because you don't know if he learned in this yeshiva or that yeshiva, or if he's a chassid of this particular group of chassidim or that particular group of chassidim. In which case, the word Rebbe is ambiguous. Not in the era of Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi. Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi, he was the Nasi of the Sanhedrin, was everybody's Rebbe. That's why he's referred to in the Mishnais as Rebbe. Because as far as anyone was concerned in his generation, there was only one Rebbe. There were many rabbis, but there was only one Rebbe. And that's why he's referred to as Rebbe. Who was he? So, you remember we said that the uh, founding Nossi of the Sanhedrin was a man called Hillel. And he had his, as his deputy a man called Shammai. And Hillel had a son called uh, Shimon. He had a son called Gamliel. That was Rabban Gamliel Hazokain. He had a son called also Shimon. He was Rabban Shimon ben Gamliel. He had a son called Gamliel. So I know it's a bit confusing. And he was Rabbi Gamliel of the Mishnah. He is the one, for example, who's quoted in Maseches Rosh Hashanah as being a great expert on uh, the stars and the moon. He used to show ch charts to people to find out whether or not they were witnesses who had seen the new moon for Rosh Chodesh. And that was Rabbi Gamliel who was the head of the Sanhedrin, a rather controversial figure. He got into an argument with Rabbi Yeshua. He was deposed and replaced by Rabbi Loza ben Azaria, and then brought back and they shared the Nasius of the Sanhedrin. That was Rabban Gamliel. And he was the second Rabban Gamliel, not Rabban Gamliel Azokein, he was the second Rabban Gamliel. He had, an, he had a son, also Shimon ben Gamliel. See, there were a lot of Gamliels and a lot of Shimons. Anyway, Rabban Shimon ben Gamliel, who was the head of the Sanhedrin, it was in Usha, it was in Yavne, it moved back to Usha, moved back to Yavne. Eventually, it moved to um, a place called Tsipoiri, eventually. And the head of the Sanhedrin, after Rabban Shimon ben Gamliel II, that he was now the sixth generation from Hillel Hazokain, from the foundational figure of the Sanhedrin, the original Nasi of the Sanhedrin, his name was Rabban Shimon ben Gamliel. He had a son and he called him Yehuda. And Rabbi Yehuda Hanossi, he became, he replaced his father and he became the head of the Sanhedrin at the age of around 30 years old. When was he born? So Chazal tell us he was born in the year 135 on the same day that Rabbi Akiva was killed. Rabbi Akiva was killed and Rabbi was born. And Rabbi... And the Chazal tell us that even when such a great rabbi as Rabbi Akiva was taken away from us, um, we still had Baruch Hashem, we had somebody who replaced him immediately, who was going to fill in the gap, the vacuum that was left by his execution of, by the Romans. And Rabbi Yehuda Anossi proved to be a fabulous replacement. He learned from all the Talmidim of Rabbi Akiva, he became the Nasi at the age of 30, and he lived till about the age of 85. So around the year 220, some say 217 of the common era, he passed away. And during that period, 
during his 55-year period, um, his reign, as it was, Nasi of the Sanhedrin, he composed Mishnais, and he created this foundational text for us that we have Torah Shabal Peh. We are only able to learn together today because Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi wrote the Mishnais. Who were his Rebbe's? Well, obviously his father was one of his Rebbe's. Also Rabbi Yossi ben Chalafta was one of his Rebbe's. And uh, there were a number of others. All of them, Rabbi Shimon ba Yochai was one of his Rebbe's. And uh, Rabbi Yehuda was one of his Rebbe's. So all these names which we're so familiar with. For example, we know that Rabbi Shimon and Rabbi Yehuda are always arguing in the Mishnah. Well, guess how the author of the Mishnah knew that they argued because he learned from both of them. Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi was a Talmud of both Rabbi Yehuda and he was a Talmud of Rabbi Shimon because they were his teachers and therefore he was very familiar with their opinions. Very often he heard the opinion of Rabbi Akiva. Why? Because the people he learned from were Talmidim of Rabbi Akiva. He was the fifth generation of the Tanoim and the final generation of the Tanoim because after him it began the period of the Amoiraim began. After him, those who wrote after him. For example, one of the, um, two of his Talmidim who went to Bovel were Rav and Shmuel. Rav and Shmuel were Talmidim of Rebbe and they became uh, the founding rabbinic mentors in, for the Babylonian Jewish community in Surah and Pumpadissa. And they were his Talmidim. They were Rebbe Huda Hanossi's Talmidim. Where was his Sanhedrin? So the, for the final 17 years of his life, he established the Sanhedrin in a place called Tsipairi. It's in the Galil, in the Galilee. It's uh, Seporis. It no longer exists as an inhabited town, but you can go there. It's an archaeological dig. And you can actually go to the, the biggest shul in Tsipairi has been excavated. You can go to the shul and they tell you when you visit Tsipairi, Tsipairi, you, you can be... You can stand in the place where Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi, where Rabbi davened every single day. Can you imagine that? You can go to the place where the author, the editor of the Mishnayis um, um, stood, he sat, uh, he davened, he prayed, he gave shiurim. You can go to that place. I don't know if you've ever been there, but it's in the Golo. After he died, the center of gravity shifted from Tsipuri to uh, Tveria. And we know that ultimately the uh, people, in uh, the rabbis in Tveria who became most influential, influential were Rabbi Yochanan and Reish Lokish. Now, Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi was an incredible person because he managed to collate all the information and most importantly, it's not just important to gather information, it's important to know what information to include and what information to leave out. And that's what he did with the Mishnais. He created this text by which we could have Judaism and not just for his era or for the next generation, for his grandchildren, great-grandchildren, but even now, it's uh, some 1800 years later and we still study Mishnais and they still offer us uh, the um, relevant, crucial information for what it is that we need to do as Jews. So Rabbi Yehuda Hanossi was such an important person in the history of the Jewish nation. He was also, as the Mishnah says at the end of Perik Vov, of uh, Perikei Ovis, that Rebbe was a, an extremely good-looking man. He was very, very handsome. He was extremely wealthy. He was very humble. 
He had all the attributes that one would require and one would expect of a great leader. Uh, he was extremely knowledgeable. That means he not only spoke Hebrew, in fact, the Gemara in Sota says that despite the fact that in Palestine, in, in the um, land of Israel in those days, they spoke Aramaic, he refused to speak Aramaic. He learned to speak fluent Greek or Latin and was able to communicate with Roman rulers with whom he fostered very, very close personal relationships. But at home, he insisted on speaking a beautiful Hebrew, which is why Mishnais is not written in Aramaic, it's written in Hebrew. And in fact, they say that the Hebrew that was spoken in his home was so complex and so detailed that many people didn't understand even when the workers in his home spoke Hebrew. They were puzzled by some of the vocabulary words that were used in his home. And uh, he created this text that we call Mishnais. And we're now going to see at the beginning of Perik Base of Perikei Ovis exactly what it is that Rebbe said. It's recorded in his name. Rebbe Oimer, So this incredible person wants to convey to us what is it um, in uh, a person's life that is going to endear him to other people. It's the correct path by which he should conduct himself in life. He says, you know what it is? Everything that will bring glory to he who does it or she who does it. And other people will uh, consider it a good deed. So what does that mean? So it's a good thing for you to do for yourself. And it's a good thing to do for, uh, for you vis-a-vis -vis other people. I'm going to explain it to you very briefly and then we'll leave it um, for the rest of what he said for the next year. So I want to explain to you that there's many things that one does that are done purely for external purposes, for PR purposes. If you hire a publicist, they'll tell you, you need to do this because you need to look good as far as other people are concerned. But personally, not such a good thing. It's, it's going to be uncomfortable for you to do it. On the other hand, there are things that you can do. I'm going to give you an example, a very, very concrete example in a moment. Or there are things that you can do which are perfect for you. You're very happy with them, but other people are not going to consider them in the highest possible way. They're not, they're not going to bring you out in a positive light. I'm going to give you an example. Imagine you have money. You're a wealthy person. So somebody comes to you for charity. You say to them, listen, I didn't make this money so that I should give it to you. I made this money so I can spend it on myself. Okay, what's that person going to think of you? He's not going to like you very much, right? Because he came to you, he wanted your help, and you refused to help him. So you're not going to be highly considered as a person as far as that person is concerned. The external view is very negative. However, for you, it's a wonderful thing. Why? Because the money is still in your bank account. So that's a a way where you can bring uh, Tiferes to yourself, but not as far as other people are concerned. You still have all the money, but the other people are not going to have the benefit of your wealth. That's one side of the coin. What's the flip side of the coin? You're a very wealthy person, and somebody comes to you for charity, and you write out a check, and you give him all the money that you have in the world. That person's going to be very thankful. Might be, we hope so. He's going to say, thank you very much. I needed that help and you gave me all your money. That's a fantastic thing for you to do. I'm so happy with you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Going to go out the door. Now what's going to happen to you? You're left penniless. That's no good because you'll never be able to give charity again. 
So it's good for other people, but it's not good for you, says Rebbe. What's the best way to conduct yourself if you're a human being? Do things, you have to find the balance between doing things which are good for you and good for other people. You need to be able to survive, to live another day, to see another day and to do good things tomorrow and the next day and in a month and a year. And at the same time, you need to make sure that whatever you have is for the benefit of other people, as long as you don't suffer. So what you have shouldn't be at the expense of others, and what other ha others have from you shouldn't be at the expense of your well-being. That is Rebbe's lesson. Rebbe, this incredible person, this leader of the Jewish nation, this person who's referred to as Rebbe, the only person referred to as Rebbe in Jewish history, besides for Moshe Rabbeinu, he tells us, you must find this middle path. If you are to be, um, uh, to be successful in your life, you must find the middle path between doing what is good for others and making sure that you take care of yourself. We'll leave it here for today. Thank you so much.